The Word of the Lord from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from the Holy Gospel of St. John in the second chapter and serves as the basis of our theme for the second Sunday after the Epiphany, on the third day and every day. There's an old wives' tale that tragedies come in threes. And for a while in the ministry, I almost believed there was some validity to that claim. Whether it was untimely deaths in the congregation, unanticipated surgeries or car accidents, it seemed like every time two big ones happened, the inevitability of the third's arrival was warily waited upon. Until it actually happened. I mean, just this last couple of weeks, we lost three major celebrities. Betty White. Sidney Poitier, and, yep, you got it, Bob Saget, right here in Orlando, Florida. So when I see two, I pay attention to whether there may be a third incident on the way. Starting our lesson today, we pick up another legendary three. The third day, to be exact. And it screams at us in the first words of our gospel lesson. So I thought, how interesting that the first miracle that Jesus performed and the last miracle he did, rising from the dead, both happened on the third day. Today's third day is a wedding festival that we know could last as long as seven days, depending on the wealth of the family hosting the wedding. And here you have sort of a continuation of Jesus in the temple where he submitted to his parents. Now it appears he is almost obeying his earthly mother, even seemingly against his will. So many questions abound in this lesson of Jesus' first miracle. What was everyone doing there? Why did he do it? And what did his mother and her interaction with the shortage of wine have to do with anything? You see, a nice and tidy number three again. So why were they there? 
I mean, you can just imagine the head steward being overwhelmed with Jesus and his 12 disciples showing up possibly three days in. Already, the wine's running out and Jesus' motley crew crashes the party? Oh, careful look at the text indicates it's probably only three disciples from out of town. Andrew, his friend, along with Peter. And then the fourth being Nathaniel, who was from Cana himself. So they were all invited, as most of the community would have been, and they were not overwhelming at all. In fact, based on Jesus' reaction to the wine fiasco, I'm sure he wanted to fly under the social radar for this particular event anyway. Next, why did Jesus perform this miracle? I mean, I know what the catechism answer is that Jesus was honoring marriage as an institution, and now so should we in the church. But I find that simplistic approach to this bizarre epiphany scene lacking in the depth and spirit of God's inspired word here. So why did Jesus do it when it was not yet his time? As Robert Mondavi once said, we will sell no wine before it's time. Was Robert channeling Jesus' hesitation so many years later? We'll probably never know, as that dear winemaker is lost to time. But we do know what we have here in the text. Jesus' words and his mother's words playing a sort of tug of war with each other, without commanding or denying each other in any way. It's a fascinating dialogue between a mother and her oldest son. In a statement from our Lord that my time has not yet come closely rivals our modern-day idiom, not my problem. But in fact, this idiom is used exclusively in the Gospel of John as a reference to his crucifixion. So as he submitted to death on the cross, so Jesus may have submitted to his heavenly Father's will as well as his earthly mother's to honor them both as their dutiful and truly perfect sacrificial son. Then there is this dubious absence of his mother's name from the entire account. The word the Holy Spirit uses is the same for woman and or wife. Did we see a type of portrayal of Christ as the groom, ironically enough at a wedding, with a woman portraying his wife, the church? Then we see there are servants, not slaves, and this term would be the exact term the apostles would use in the early church for deacons and deaconesses to serve in the church. And finally, the wine is the finest wine ever served. The ceremonial baptizing jars are changed to wine with the presence of Christ. Are we seeing the very typological introduction of the church through Christ as the groom, the church as his bride, with word and sacraments, and the order of the very church hierarchy right here in Jesus' first miracle? Oh, the possibilities are as endless as the love and wisdom of our God who gives us all things through his only begotten Son and our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus. Unfortunately, there's not much in the way of possibilities and creativity these days in our culture. Take the entertainment industry, for example. I mean, there are some good movies out there these days, but I think we can do better. 
I've come up with a musical that is set to the 80s, to the classic rock music of Night Ranger. The idea is a young man is going off to war in Iraq in the late 80s and leaving his girlfriend behind, all set to the theme that you can still rock in America, the closing finale. I also think the Koreans are doing the best job of inventing movie genres for the future, and it appears that American and British production companies are simply copying for lack of creativity in Hollywood and London. I also think anime is bringing ancient Asian mythology to life that is recreating mythology in movies in the West. So I think it's high time we put my three theory to the test. I would like to see a movie with the tragedy of the threes theme. It would go something like this. Spoiled Hollywood starlets with way too much money to burn and not enough brains to turn it into useful philanthropy. Watch the three theory carefully when two major stars go down in quick succession. In order to avoid being the third, a grifter, tricks them into spending all their money, insuring against any possible disaster that would make them the third to die. Their obsession and subsequent theatrics trying to insulate themselves from the world proved to be ludicrous and clearly ineffective to even the casual observer. But because their hysteria and financial ability to be as stupid as they can they find themselves collectively running throughout the movie from one scam to another to keep alive. So much so that, finally, in the end of their delicious delusions, catch up with them and their final act of procured security causes all of them to expire together. My dear brothers and sisters, that day is coming. Matthew 25 tells us, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit in his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And Satan is indeed the grifter trying to convince the worldly ones that he knows what the problem is and only he can solve it if we just serve him. He's always tempting us to believe he can save us from the unholy three when he is the cause of all that vexes us in this world. But one of the things I have never forgotten is just how perfect the number three really is. A three-legged stool always sits perfectly without a leg off the ground. Number three was my favorite number in soccer back when I played as a kid. Jesus obviously rose on the third day as well as performed his first miracle on the third day. And our God is a perfect three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. God. So, when the time comes, it will be a perfect three in one in and of itself. The perfect amount of time until Christ comes at a time no one will know that day. Only the Father in heaven will know. And everyone the world calls perfect 
whether by TikTok filters or Beverly Hills plastic surgeons or enough music and movie made money to cover up their sins and crimes from everyone, unless it is covered through faith in our perfect Christ blood shed on the cross, his third day walk out of the tomb doesn't save them, it only condemns them. For those of us humble in the world's eyes, poor by worldly standards, and culturally irrelevant by media, internet influencers, and Hollywood hypocrites. When the third day comes for us, it will be our day. Because it has always been Jesus' day, and Jesus loves a sinner who knows they need their sins forgiven. On the third day, and every day, until that eternal day, he comes to take us home. Amen. Now may that peace surpass all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.